Exodus chapter 12 tonight. We're going to be looking at the Passover feast and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the first two feasts of the Jews, very significant feast. Uh, Exodus 12, we'll be looking, starting in verse 15 tonight. Exodus 12, 15. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Richard's testimony. We thank you for that his testimony represents our testimonies because you grabbed us from a life of sin, a life that was... Uh, dark and filled with spiritual death and you brought your light and life you delivered us from the domain of darkness the dominion of darkness and you transferred us into the kingdom of your beloved son the kingdom of light and we're so grateful for that father we do know that we still wrestle with things we struggle those two natures within us still battle but father we know that you uh, have the upper hand in every single skirmish because you are god And you have bought us with the price, the precious blood of Jesus. You live in us. And Jesus, you ever live to intercede for us. And we know you are faithful, Father. Forgive us for the times that we battle you. Forgive us for the times that we uh, sin against you and even grieve the Holy Spirit. But we know you want the best for us. We know that you came into this world, Jesus, to save us and deliver us, to set free the captives from the bondage of sin and the world and the devil. We pray tonight, Father, as we study your word, that you'll guide us by your spirit. Father, just use me, give me the thoughts and the things that you want me to share with your people. Thank you for your people. I love them very much, and this is a precious family, and I know you love us all, and that's what makes life right there, the fact that you love us, and that we know that we are yours, and you are ours. And so tonight, Father, we want to just worship you, say that we love you, and tonight we dedicate this Bible study to you, your lordship, your love. Uh, Grow us in our most holy faith. Continue to move and shape us and use us to extend your message and your love to others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, Exodus chapter 12 tonight. Seven days, verse 15, you shall eat unleavened bread... But on the first day you shall remove leaven from your houses, for whoever eats anything leavened from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. Now, the Feast of Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread are the first two great feasts of Israel. And oftentimes they were meshed together. And so sometimes when you'll read about a feast in the New Testament, um, you'll read about... Uh, the Feast of Unleavened Bread and the Feast of Passover, but you have two different feasts. The Feast of Passover was a one-day feast. The Feast of Unleavened Bread lasted for seven days. Sometimes they were kind of joined together, and so the feast might be called the Feast of Unleavened Bread, but it was actually a combination of Passover and Unleavened Bread together. The Feast of Unleavened Bread, one commentator writes, is named after the bread which is required to be eaten during this holiday. The Hebrew Scriptures call this feast Hag HaMatzat. And Matzah is the plural of Matzat. And these are the Hebrew words for unleavened bread. And so you'll often hear about Matzah. Matzah is the flat uh, cracker looking thing that uh, actually Scott showed us with the light and so forth a couple of weeks ago. And that is a piece of uh, bread without the leaven. Therefore, it does not rise. And uh, this is the feast that the Jews remember. Um, 
because the Bible says they left in haste from Egypt and therefore they didn't have the time for the bread to rise and the Lord took this uh, imagery made into, into a feast and then we've seen uh, from uh, other parallel passages and uh, Barrett mentioned several of them that uh, leaven is representative and it, it's, we know it uh, today is yeast is representative of sin, hypocrisy, false teaching, basically to take the big term for it, evil. And so the Israelites were to uh, practice this feast, and as a matter of fact, they still do to today, by uh, sweeping out the leaven out of their households. If you hold your finger in Exodus and turn to Deuteronomy, so you got Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers and Deuteronomy. That is the the first five books written by Moses. Deuteronomy 16. Deuteronomy 16. If you look at verse 1, I want to show you the feasts of uh, Israel, some mention here of them and some things related to them. Deuteronomy 16.1. It says, Observe... Deuteronomy 16.1, the month of Abib, and celebrate the Passover to the Lord your God. For in the month of Abib, the Lord your God brought you out of Egypt by night. And you shall sacrifice the Passover to the Lord your God from the flock and the herd in the place where the Lord chooses to establish his name. You shall not eat leavened bread with it. Seven days you shall eat it with unleavened bread and you might want to note this, the bread of affliction, for you came out of the land of Egypt in haste in order that you may remember, note all the days of your life, the day when you came out of the land of Egypt. So God says when you eat this unleavened bread, it represents the bread of affliction. And when you take it, when you partake of it, I want you to remember, not just occasionally, but all the days of your life, what happened on that night. I delivered you and I got you out of Egypt in haste. And it just reminds me, personal application tonight, whenever we're thinking about Egypt, we need to boogie out of Egypt in haste. We don't need to mess around with sin, folks. Oftentimes, we try to play the game of, can I keep a foot in Egypt and a, f- a foot in the world and can I still you know, be fruitful for the Lord? And I remember an image uh, many years ago, and many of you have heard this if you've been around the church for quite some time, that those who straddle the fence in their Christian walk are the most uncomfortable people in the world because you try to have a foot in the world and a foot in Christ and you're miserable. Now picture a picket fence. You got the image? Oh, it's painful to straddle the fence, isn't it? And so many people try to do it. But we need to flee youthful lust, uh, Paul wrote to Timothy. We need to leave Egypt in haste and not even open the door. And I'm going to talk to you a little bit about sweeping out the leaven in your life and, and the pictures that come forth. And they've been touched on uh, in, a, in, a, in a great way so far. But I just want to kind of hammer on that a little bit more. For seven days, verse 4, leaven, uh, excuse me, no leaven shall be seen within all your territory. Not just... Uh, don't eat the bread, but get it out of the territory. None of the flesh which you sacrifice on the evening, the first day shall remain overnight until morning. You are not allowed to sacrifice the Passover in any of your towns which the Lord your God is giving you. He's going to be very specific. But at the place where the Lord your God chooses to establish his name, 
You shall sacrifice the Passover in the evening at sunset at the time that you came out of Egypt. And you shall cook it and eat it in the places which the Lord your God chooses. And in the morning you are to return to your tents. Six days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the seventh day there shall be a solemn assembly to the Lord your God. You shall do no work in it. Now these are some of the parameters if you turn back to the book of Exodus. Um, I lost the, oh, here's the first page of my notes. Okay. Now, let me give you the three things that the Bible records regarding instructions, three instructions from the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And if you're a note taker, you want to write these down. Okay, three instructions, biblical instructions for the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Number one, special sacrifices were to be offered in the temple each day over the seven days. Number one, special sacrifices were to be offered in the temple each day for every one of the days or seven days. Number two, the first and seventh days were to be Sabbaths and holy assemblies. You can reference uh, Exodus twelve sixteen, And number three, there was to be absolutely no leaven uh, partaken of. So, if you look at the three things, daily sacrifices, solemn assemblies, first and seventh days, and no leaven. Now, in 1 Corinthians 5, Paul says we are to keep the feast, but he's using the Old Testament imagery to New Testament Christians. I want you to think about the three biblical things that you did during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. The first thing is there was a daily special sacrifice at the temple. Now, in the New Testament, what is the... Bible say about daily sacrifices? What does it say? You are to present your body as a living sacrifice. What was the other thing that you said, Tom? Uh, Paul says, I die daily, right? Uh, we also know in the book of Hebrews, it says we're to offer the sacrifice of praise. Uh, we're to give and share with others, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. Hebrews thirteen sixteen. So this image of the feast, if you take a New Testament application and you think about the Jew during the Feast of Unleavened Bread offered daily sacrifices in the temple, we are to offer ourselves daily as a living sacrifice. I have a, a practice I'm trying to implement in my life. I can't say I have a perfect record, but every day I try to formally present myself to the Lord as a living sacrifice based upon Romans 12, 1 and 2. Sometimes I'm literally on my knees. Other times I'm doing it mentally. But either way, I try to formalize that because I realize how weak my flesh is and how desperately I need the power of Jesus Christ. So each day, I offer myself as a living sacrifice. That's the first thing the Jew would do, but he was off, obviously offering different sacrifices. Number two, remember on the first and seventh days, they would have what they called a holy or solemn assembly. A holy or solemn assembly. You can reference Exodus twelve sixteen, Leviticus 23, 7 and 8, and Numbers 28, 25. Okay, go back and get the CD if I'm going too fast. But here's the deal. The first and the seventh days, you were to congregate corporately in an assembly. Now, when you think of the term assembly, what do you think of? Assembling like we are tonight. They did it the first and the seventh day of the feast. 
Now, we need to offer ourselves as a living sacrifice day by day, offer our bodies, but the other thing that we desperately need as people is to assemble at least twice a week. <laughs> now, I don't know about you, but I go to three Bible studies a week, not to mention the time, devotional time I have with my family. And I'm a pastor. I also study the Bible almost every day of the week. And I will tell you that if I miss one thing, I usually notice it. We desperately need to ingest the things of God and to be with the people of God. I don't go to Bible studies. Uh, I do like y'all, don't get me wrong. But I also know I have to be at Bible studies. I have to be in holy assemblies. I need to assemble with the people of God. I go to a Tuesday morning Bible study. I don't even teach it anymore, but I know I need the discipline to wake up early in the morning and be with my brothers because I know I'm going to hear from God. And I know that I need to be there. And so I am trying to uh, practice those disciplines not because of some legalistic regiment where I know if I don't wake up on Tuesday morning, well, God's just not going to love me anymore. No, I need to celebrate the feast to remember who I am and the God I serve and to make sure that he's got the wheel of my life. That is what my life is. My life, as Richard uh, mentioned about dealing in life, is all about uh, the things of God. Now, I'm just like all of you who have spoken so far or will speak. I am not perfect, nor will I ever arrive, but I know what it means to see the power of God work. And I know I need to show up at the places where he's working. I just have to. And I find that when I do, I am, uh, I'm more apt to do the will of God. I'll just put it that way. Number three, remember, I told you spe uh, daily special sacrifices. First and seventh days, they did solemn assemblies. Number three, there was to be absolutely no leaven anywhere in their houses, territories, and especially in their bread. And if they ate leaven, they were to be cut off from Israel. Now, there's a little bit of debate about what cutting off meant. Did it mean literally execute them? Perhaps. Some take that view. Some thinks that it meant something like an excommunication. Uh, there was one gentleman who was writing, uh, and he, he's writing in contemporary times where the Feast of Unleavened Bread was happening and uh, seven days with no leaven, uh, you know, you can't have any regular bread. And if for you bread eaters, you know that that's a big temptation. You know, you want your baguette. You know, you want your bread. And I grew up in an Italian household. Everything we had, we had bread with it. Well, he was talking about, you know, it was getting towards the end of the Feast of Unleavened Bread and he and his friend, uh, before the feast was officially over, about two hours before, they bought some bread. They went all over town and finally found a pagan market that was selling regular bread. But there were two Jewish guys and so they were kind of going through parts of uh, their town there and they had some bread but they were trying to hide it and some of the people on the bus saw it and became very angry. And... Uh, they just couldn't resist the temptation. You know, we've got to have our bread. And, oh, why do we have to wait two more hours? Can't we just have it? But God said, when you practice these three things, special sacrifices daily, holy assemblies tw uh, two times during the feast, get the leaven out. Don't even let it be seen in your territory. Sweep it out of your house. Don't put it in your bread. Get it out. And remember, leaven is a type of sin or evil completely sweep it out and start over again. Now, my understanding of 
the way bread works, and I guess this works today with sourdough bread, is when you, when you make bread, um, you take a little bit of, and correct me if I'm wrong, those of you who know uh, more about bread than I do, they take a little bit of the one before it and they use it as the leaven. And literally, um, the process that it goes through is what? Um, what's the process when it becomes alcohol? Ferments. It actually ferments and they take a little bit of the fermented piece and they put it in the next uh, loaf and that's what makes the bread rise. And literally gas bubbles uh, go into the bread and if you ever watch bread in the oven or whatever it is that you're making, you know, it kind of starts off flat and then as it cooks, it rises or puffs up and it's literally little gas bubbles that are making it rise. And I understand that the weight of the dough does not change after it rises. It's the same uh, substance, but it's just puffed up even more. And that is a great image of what sin does. It doesn't really uh, make you better. It just puffs you up. And God said during this feast, daily sacrifices, holy assemblies, first and seventh day, and get the leaven out. And boy, could we learn some lessons from these three things that they did. Because they were to completely sweep it out. And if you were caught with the leaven, you were cut off. Now you say, well, that's the God of the Old Testament. Is it? Turn over to 1 Corinthians 5. Now I know this has been touched on, but I want to take a look at this. I want to give you some, some stuff to chew on tonight. But have you ever... Um, you ever seen, uh, for you bachelors, you can especially relate to this. Have you opened, ever opened up your fruit drawer and seen some rotten fruit in there? Now, now, you know, like when one tomato goes bad or one peach goes bad, that uh, rottenness will spread to the other pieces of fruit in there. And so if you had a barrel of apples and you took one bad apple and you put it in the barrel of good apples, the rottenness of that bad apple will spread to the, all the good apples. But if you had a barrel of rotten apples and you took one good apple and threw it into the rotten apples, would the good apple make the rotten ones good? No. no. The bad ones will make the good one bad. But the bad one will make all the good ones bad. Did that make sense? See, that's the way it works with leaven. And Paul is going to say twice in the New Testament, if you're looking at 1 Corinthians 5, he's going to use a little word called little. He says, notice in verse 6, 1 Corinthians 5, your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a, say it, a little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough uh, some people believe that this was a saying among the Jews. Like our modern saying, one bad apple will spoil the whole bunch. Well, a little leaven, and he also says it in Galatians 5, I believe, leavens the whole lump of dough. Remember, they just took that little piece, but once they put it in there, it did its work. A little leaven is all it takes. That's a key thought tonight because we think it can sin a little. I'll toy with it a little bit. I'll open the door a little bit. No, all the devil needs is a little foothold. He just needs a little leaven. And it spreads. Picture those apples. It spreads to the whole lump of dough. Now Paul says, clean out the old leaven, verse 7, that you may be a new lump just as you are in fact unleavened. Look, you're in Christ. You're, you're not 
uh, condemned. You're not judged. You've passed from death to life. But you still need to go through a process that this feast represents of cleaning out the old leaven and sweeping it out. For Christ, our Passover, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the feast not with the old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Sweep it out. Now the context, context of 1 Corinthians 5, a man is in a congregation in Corinth. The man has been, been committing an act that the Apostle Paul says the pagans don't even do this. He has another man's wife. The woman actually happens to be his father's wife. And he is sleeping with her. And the church in Corinth apparently took this situation and said, hey, look at how tolerant we are. Oh, we know he's blowing it. But you know what? Grace, grace, grace. And Paul says, no, do you remember the Feast of Unleavened Bread back in Exodus? A little leaven, what does it do? It leavens the whole lump of dough. Sweep it out. If the guy will not repent, what was Paul's advice? I've already handed this guy over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh that his spirit might be saved. Throw the wicked man, paraphrasing, out of the church. Excommunicate him. You've warned him. He won't stop. Get him out. Now today, I know that's not popular. But you have to understand, as we've talked about church discipline, that we go through every step we can when someone's blowing it to warn them, to encourage them to repent, to ask them to stop, to warn them of the consequences. But Paul says, this particular situation is the image of the leaven. And remember how they said in, in Exodus, the writing is, uh, if a person partakes of the leaven, they're to be cut off. Well, this guy in the New Testament, what did Paul say? Cut him off. Send him out from your midst with the hope that he, even if he was turned over to Satan, uh, he might go through a, pro a process of discipline, but his spirit might be saved. Never the intention of the worst for this type of person. But they were to get him out. It's, I know it sounds uh, maybe a little harsh to us, but if we play games with sin, and even if we allow sin to take place in our midst, we can become infected by it. And the church can become infected by it. And so what others do in our midst does affect us. What, what does go on in our friendships and household does make a difference. 1 Corinthians 15.33 says, Bad company corrupts good morals. And it is very much the case that oftentimes, you know, we think we can have a relationship where we'll bring a person up, but oftentimes the opposite happens, they bring us down. Now, I'm not saying that you can't have friends that are unbelievers and worldly and you can't have some relationships in your life where someone's not saved. I'm not saying that. But I am saying this, you have to be careful. You have to be careful about what you do in your life because we just need to take heed lest we fall. Now, if you go back um, to the book of Exodus, so I want you to remember those three things now uh, where they celebrated this Feast of Unleavened Bread because it's extremely important that we get the point of the three things they did. Number one, what did they do? They had special sacrifices every day. Offer yourself to God. Number two, first and seventh days, what did they hold? Solemn assemblies. 
we need to assemble with the people of God. Number three, what did they do? They cleaned out all the leaven completely out of their territory. And we need to make sure that there's no leaven infecting us in our lives. Now, verse 16, back in Exodus 12, And on the first day you shall have a holy assembly, and on another a holy assembly on the seventh day. No work at all shall be done on them except what must be eaten by every person that alone may be prepared by you. 17, you shall also observe the feast of unleavened bread. For on this very day I brought your hosts or your armies or people out of the land of Egypt. Therefore you shall observe this day throughout your generations, notice, as a permanent ordinance. The NIV reads this way. Celebrate the Feast of Unleavened Bread because it was on this very day that I brought your divisions out of Egypt. Celebrate this day as a lasting ordinance for the generations to come. Uh, Whenever the Jews um, remember this, one of the children will ask, what sets apart this night or why is this a special night, Daddy? Why is this night different from all others? And then the father is supposed to get into the Passover and say, because this is the night that God delivered us, my child. From Egypt. In the first month, on the 14th day of the month, remember that's the month of Abib or Nisan, at evening you shall eat unleavened bread until the 21st day of the month at evening, that's the seven days. Seven days there shall be no leaven found in your houses, for whoever eats what is leavened, that person shall be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he is an alien or a native in the, of the land. You shall not eat anything leavened. Notice, emphasis again. In all your dwellings you shall eat unleavened bread. Then Moses called, verse 21, for the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and take for yourself lambs according to your families and slay the Passover lamb. You shall take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood which is in the basin and apply some of the blood that is in the basin to the lintel and the two doorposts. And none of you shall go outside the door of his house until morning. Now on the night of the Passover, the instructions are given for the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Remember the two feasts connect, Passover and Unleavened Bread. Passover is a picture of Jesus Christ slain for our sins. The Feast of Unleavened Bread represents his burial. And remember when uh, um, Jews for Jesus came, uh, they showed us how the Jewish practice is to take this little satin... um, kind of napkin looking thing and they have the three pieces of matzah and they take the middle piece out and remember they go and hide it in the house and then the the kids will will later uh, have a chance to search for it and so forth. Well, here's the instructions regarding the Passover lamb and we've talked about this a little bit in earlier passages. The New King James in verse 22 says, you shall take a bunch of hyssop, dip it in the blood that is in the basin, the blood of the lamb and strike the lintel Lintel and the two doorposts of the bl- um, with the blood, excuse me, that is in the basin, and none of you shall go out of the door of his house until morning. Now, no, was it Notivia uh, Teretsky? I can't remember his name now. Um, he was talking about this is the guy from Jews for Jesus. He was talking about uh, a moving moment in his own life uh, when he embraced Jesus Christ, and he was taught about the Passover and stuff, but. The, the two door, door posts represent the side posts of a door, the lentil, the top. And so he made this motion um, when he was here sharing with us about the Passover 
so we could see what really caught his eye in regard to the incredible richness of prophecy and scripture. And he did this. When they would put the blood on the doorpost and lentil, and when he made that motion, in that motion is the cross. And so it's incredible to think that, you know, even as the Jews were kind of painting their doors with the blood of the lamb, they were making the sign of the cross. I don't think it's a far stretch to believe that our Lord works that way at all. And so every Jewish person is there uh, right before God's going to come in judgment and they're all doing this with this blood. And you think, wow, what a picture. And God says, stay behind that door that night. Don't you come out until morning. Stay behind the blood. Because that night, God was going to pass over. And if you were in that household where the blood had been applied, quote unquote, from the New King James, guess what? No judgment. You live. But if that blood is not on your doorpost and your lentil, and the angel comes, the angel of the Lord comes and passes over and he doesn't see the blood, you die. Judgment. Now, of course, this judgment applied to the firstborn, you remember. But God says, through Moses, stay behind that door. Hide behind that blood. That's what will save you on that night. Well, you can see the imagery, can't you? For the Lord will pass through, verse 23, to smite the Egyptians and when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the doorpost, the Lord will pass over you. He will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to come into your houses to smite you. That destroyer won't pass through that blood and you will not be destroyed on the day of judgment because that blood's been applied to your life. Now this happened thousands of years before Jesus. And this is the picture that God is painting. It's about the blood of the Lamb. The destroyer, a uh, little bit of a debate on, debate on this, but most believe the destroyer is the angel of the Lord. Isn't it interesting? That if indeed the commentators uh, who believe that the, the destroyer is the angel of the Lord on this very night are correct, then the one who came to do the smiting was Jesus. Wow. What? You mean in this imagery of the blood on the door, it was reminiscent of what would happen with him and yet he was still executing judgment? Well, Jesus says in John chapter 5 that, that God the Father has given all judgment into the hand of the Son. I don't know. You can wrestle with that one. But either way, God executed that judgment and Jesus is God. And therefore, when that destroyer came into the house, it was by the hand of God. And so the cross is God taking his own wrath on himself. When you see the cross, it is a picture of the judgment of God coming to the Lamb instead of you. He takes his own holy wrath. That is mind-boggling. But that is indeed what happened. 
And you shall observe this event as an ordinance for you, notice, and your children forever. And it will come about, 25. When you enter the land which the Lord will give you as he has promised that you shall observe this right. Now, when you get to the promised land, keep on celebrating the feast. Oh, because you know what? we have a tendency to do. We're in trouble. Oh, the destroyer's coming. Put the blood on. Hurry up. Apply it. But once we get to the promised land, well, you know what we sometimes do. Oh, we're okay, God. It's party time. We're doing good. We're cool. God says, you better keep celebrating that, that Passover. And every time you gather at that table and the child says, Father, why is this night different than all other nights you tell him? Because you'll forget. And sometimes we think, why do we do the Lord's Supper so often? I was in a church before this church where every week we did communion. Now we do it once a month here and there's no uh, strict guideline biblically. It just says as often as you do it, you do it in remembrance of the Lord. But we need to take communion and you know why we do. Because it reminds us. Because folks, we all live in the promised land. Don't we? Oh, America's not perfect, but would you want to live in any other country? <laughs> Come on now. And so sometimes, you know, we're living in America and we're wrestling over which big screen TV we ought to buy. Oh, I don't know. This is a really tough decision. Boy, why do we got to go through this? Oh boy, it's rough, isn't it? God says, when you're in that promised land, look at the end of verse 25. Don't forget. This is why the Lord, I think, gives us ordinances. He says, when you do this, you do this. Barrett, you talked about this, in remembrance of me. Don't you forget. Don't you forget about my blood. So you take that cup to your lips. It's, in our case, grape juice. And you remember. And it will come about when your children will say to you, what does this right mean to you? You might say to them, well, we've always done this since we were little, Johnny. We just do it. It's just a ritual, you know? Get over it. Stop asking me questions, kid. You bug me. Is that, is that what the Bible says? <laughs> well, we've just all, always done it this way. I don't really know what it means. No, you better have an answer. When your child asks you, what does it mean to you? This is, this is a time where you should ask, what does it mean to you? What does this ceremony mean to you? You shall say. It is a Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses of the sons of Israel in Egypt when he smote the Egyptians but spared our homes. And notice, now the leaders are assembled and they're hearing this and the people bowed low and worshipped. See, they hear all of this. They realize for generations to come their people are going to be practicing this commemoration, but they are going to see it. And they're blown away. They're thinking, if you can step back and see the big picture, for generations to come, our kids are going to be having a feast and we are going to live it. We're going to be applying that blood right here, right now, and the Lord's passing over. You know, it's been often asked of people, if you wanted to live in any other time in history, when would you want to live? And of course, many of us say the time of Jesus. The apostles lived it. They were right there. But do you think they stopped and thought, man, what are the ramifications for the next? Did they even know? You know, the song we sing at Christmas time, Mary, did you know? Did you realize? 
who he was and what he was going to do. Well, the sons of Israel, 28, went and did so just as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. Now it came about, verse 29, at midnight that the Lord struck all the firstborn in the land of Egypt. Notice who struck them? The Lord did. Now remember, every other plague so far, we've seen, uh, in a lot of cases, it was the rod of God. It was Moses taking the staff and he was the representative of God. But this time, where is Moses on this night? He's behind a blood-stained door. <laughs> saying, if you want to live, shut the door and do not answer it. This is, uh, you know, Grim Reaper kind of stuff. If you hear a, just don't, do not get the door. Right? Because literally, death was passing by. But literally, if you look at the Bible, it says the Lord did it. He passed over. It was the Lord's Passover and he struck all the firstborn in the land of Egypt from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon and all the firstborn of the cattle. Even Pharaoh's son died. Now you remember in the movie, of course, uh, the, the boy is dead and Pharaoh tries to put him on that hawk-looking god and cries out to him and of course that God's not answering and his wife says the reason is because is he's just a statue you big dummy to paraphrase the movie he's not going to answer you because you made him there, are, there ain't going to be no answer on the other end for people who make gods if you make a God of your own imagination do not expect him to answer because you made him he ain't real <laughs> not rocket science and Pharaoh arose in the night he and all his servants, I don't know if they were sleeping or what was going on, but all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was no home where there was not someone dead. Now can you imagine the night that Pharaoh had that night? Not only was he probably getting all kinds of guff from his leadership and his wives, if he had plural wives and everything else, but he was getting all kinds of nasty hate mail and email and I'm sure people coming up to him weeping and in tears. My son is dead. My son is dead. Everywhere he looked, there was death. And his own boy was dead. And what brought him to that point? Was he given a few chances to think about the consequences? What? did Pharaoh's pride cost him? You know, sometimes we think, okay, yes, I'm a proud man, but you know, my pride doesn't really hurt anybody else. Really? Really? On this night, Pharaoh, if he took an honest assessment of his life, could see that his pride had brought death to his own kid. And then he, Pharaoh, called for Moses and Aaron at night and said, Rise up, get out from among my people, both you and the sons of Israel. Go, worship the Lord as you have said. Take both your flocks and your herds as you have said and go and bless me also. <laughs> this guy never stops, does he? Oh, and by the way, and you know, commentators think that maybe he's saying, you know, when you leave, don't leave any of the pestilence behind. Take it with you. 
I think that's probably more in keeping what he's saying. Uh, when you go, could you leave a blessing instead of another plague? <laughs> could you leave the blessing instead of another curse? And the Egyptians urged the people, yeah, yeah, we agree with Pharaoh <laughs> to send them out of the land in haste for they were, were saying, now it's getting personal. We shall all be dead. We ain't playing games here. Yeah, we've had boils and gnats, and, but people are dying if they haven't already. So the people took their dough before it was leavened with their kneading bowls bound up in clothes on their shoulders and now the sons of Israel had done according to the word of Moses for they had requested from the Egyptians articles of silver, articles of gold. Do you remember that? And clothing and the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Remember the Egyptians were saying just take it and go so that they let them have their request and thus they plundered the Egyptians. And now as we segue, the sons of Israel will begin their journey from Sukkoth and we'll begin to get into that next week. But as you uh, think about the images tonight, I hope these images will burn in your head. Uh, there's a lot of drama in this text, isn't there? This, this whole thing has come to a head. Uh, there's been warning after warning. There's been a warning shots fired. There's been plagues descended upon Egypt. But the leader of Egypt, his pride, his hardness of heart, brought this thing to a head. Now, of course, God was always in control. God knew he was going to glorify himself through even Pharaoh's hardness. And all along, he had planned 10 plagues. But now it's come to a head. And God says, you know, when this moment happens, when I pass over and then you begin to go, don't you forget, you tell those future generations what I did on this night. You know, in, our, in, our, in all of our haste, since we're at Christmas time. Isn't it true that for modern Americans, in all of our urgency and haste, don't we often forget? It's really important. There's a story that really illustrates this. I'll close with this. There's a story of a Christmas party that happens at a well-to-do home one night and there's a new child that's been born into the family and little baby and the baby was set down on the bed uh, to sleep. And so people came in and the uh, butler of the home was taking people's coats on a cold winter night and he was setting the coats on the bed. They set coat after coat after coat and well, they had forgotten that the child was sleeping on the bed. And I think as the story goes, the child, they couldn't find the child and found him dead. You know, that's what we do as Americans. Even in the church. We get busy layer upon layer upon layer and sooner or later that child's lost of course we all know about the crass commercialism at Christmas time and we can point to it and say that's terrible don't people get it I'm sick of a cross in my front yard I don't care what anybody thinks right Santa Claus reindeer everything going on you mentioned Jesus Christ at Christmas time look out better call it a holiday tree right don't tell me Merry Christmas right why how far we can get. But we're living in the promised land. We got the milk, we got the honey, but we got no life, as Richard said earlier. So would to God that we remember the new covenant in the blood of Jesus.
belief and trust in him. And that when we gather at the Lord's table or maybe you say a prayer, maybe you crack open the Bible this week and the kid says, why do you do that, Mom? Why do you do that, Dad? You say, because there's a God in heaven and he's passed over me because the blood of his son has been applied to my life. That's what it's all about. Father, thank you for your love and grace and mercy and goodness. We know that this picture of uh, Israel and Egypt is a picture not only from the past and even a picture of the cross and the resurrection of Jesus, but this is a picture of the future when you will come in wrath to judge the world in righteousness. Anyone who has been placed behind the door of the blood of Jesus, the destroyer will not touch them. They will be brought into the promised land. Anyone who doesn't have that blood applied to their lives is lost and will face the destroyer face to face. What a frightening terrible thing it is to fall into the hands of the living God. Many will mock that message today. Many will laugh at it. Many will reject it. But for those of us who are saved, the cross is indeed the power of God for salvation. And so, Father, uh, this Christmas season, as we go through the hustle and bustle, we all experience it. As we (laughs) have things vying for our attention and time and as we so easily forget what all you've done for us, may we remember. May the symbols of this season uh, remind us, may we go by a Christmas tree and point to the symbols that remind us of Jesus. May we, may we look for the good this season. And if we see someone caught up in all the, the crass commercialism, may we stop and at least pray for them, if not share the gospel with them. I thank you for these precious people tonight. I thank you that we've been purchased by the blood of the Lamb, the blood of the cross. And I just pray that we'll draw close to you tonight, trust in you for every aspect of our lives, know that you have good things for us, and that we can get as many people behind that door as possible, that blood-stained door. Tell them the good news, that we have a Savior who remembered us. He would not leave us alone. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.